Hi, I'm Victor Lombardi, and welcome to the Noise Between Stations podcast, where I'm going to share something useful about design strategy in five minutes or less. Although this week, I might go a little over. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about Pounce versus Twitter, and the need to get a critical mass of a market in order to compete. So here's the story. In 2006, Twitter launches, starts to get a bit of a following. But if you look back at Twitter at the time, the visual design kind of sucked. There was very simple with regard to features. You could join, post, follow people, read, and that's pretty much it. And the service crashed all the time. Remember the fail whale? It would come up on pretty much like a weekly basis. It was, it was pretty bad. What Twitter did well, though, was happening on the back end. At some point, outside folks created a rogue API started screen scraping Twitter to create this API. Twitter, recognizing that customers wanted this, created an official API. And they did this within two months of launching. It was very responsive. Something else Twitter did that was very effective was send messages out as text messages, as SMS. And if you're a product manager who's done this before, you know text messages are very expensive. You're paying on a per message basis to all the mobile phone carriers and it's really cost prohibitive as a startup. In addition to powering the API requires a lot of servers to send those messages now, not only as SMS and web, but over the API to all kinds of other channels and devices. But Twitter had deep pockets. They were spun out of Odeo, a failed podcast startup that had 5 million in funding. Plus the founders may have kicked in uh, something as well and they weren't exactly poor. So. Into that situation, you have a bunch of competitors. You have Identica, you have Google Buzz, and the one that I think is most interesting was Pounce. So Pounce came along and said, we think we can do something like this, but different and better. So number one, we're going to have proper visual design. It's going to look good. We want people to trust us. And we're gonna put in some features that will not only differentiate us, but might generate some customer loyalty as well. So they enhanced the microblogging itself. So you can not only send texts publicly, you could also send a direct message to someone. Now you might be saying, well, Twitter can do this too, but Twitter didn't actually add this until years after Pounce did it. Pounce also let you create a group of people to send messages to. So this is pretty handy. You could have a group of people at work that you just message with. Slack these days has shown us how useful that is. And before Slack, there was Yammer, but even before Yammer, there was Pounce. So you could say that they were onto something. Pounce also let you send file attachments. And again, this is a long time before people like Box and Dropbox let you do that. So you could see this becoming not only a nice microblogging tool, but also a nice work group communication tool. They plan to fund all this through a pro level of service that would be subscription-based. So the idea is uh, if you wanted all these features, you could sign up and send large attachments and pay a you know, pretty reasonable fee, about $20 US a month. And with that money, they would turn around and buy more servers. And this would allow them to not crash like Twitter was crashing. But when they started out, the way they were going to avoid crashing was just to throttle the number of users on the platform. So 
you had to request an invitation in order to get onto the get onto Pounce. And once you received an invitation, you had five invitations that you could then forward to your friends to get them on. So this way, Pounce could you know release invitations on a gradual basis to make sure that the servers weren't overwhelmed. To fast forward to the how the story turns out, we can really see it if we look at a graph of their traffic between 2006 and 2007. Twitter had launched in 2006, and they got a head start, and they were growing fairly well, but not at a huge clip, not crazy hockey stick growth, just, you know, like a 10,000 or 20,000 a month. Pounce didn't launch until June of 2007. At this point, Twitter had about a little over 100,000 users. Pounce launched with 250,000 users. They had a, a somewhat of a celebrity founder in Kevin Rose, and just a lot of pent-up excitement for this product. You know, people were rabid for invitations. Folks were selling invitations on eBay for 10 bucks a pop. People were really excited about Pounce. And at the time, it really looked like Pounce might beat Twitter. People were so excited about it. But there was so much attention around Pounce in the media and in the public in general that this was a tide that raised all the microblogging boats. So when Pounce launched and got great traffic, all the other microblogging tools did as well because suddenly there's a whole new wave of people signing up for microblogging services. Pounce jumped up to 250,000 users. Twitter then jumped up to over 400,000 users. And then from there, Twitter continued its, its healthy growth. But from there, Pounce did not start a path of healthy growth. A lot of people initially checked out Pounce, didn't realize it wasn't as popular as Twitter, and didn't want to use that as their, their microblogging platform because they knew they weren't going to reach as many people, went away. And some people, you know, liked, liked it and stayed. But the inability to work with all the people you wanted to work with as a workgroup tool was a big problem because you just couldn't get your whole workgroup onto, onto Pounce because the invitations were limited. So Pounce's users just declined month over month. In January of 08, Pounce finally opened up the platform so that anyone can join. But at that point, it's too late. Their monthly users had dropped below 100,000. Meanwhile, Twitter's are exceeding 500 or 600,000 at that point. And it's really looking like Twitter grabbed the critical mass of this market. And critical mass, especially of a social product in a competitive space, is so key here. To put it simply, writers want to write where there are readers, and readers want to read where there are writers. So the more people you have on the platform, the more network value it is, and that just keeps multiplying as more people come onto the platform. And that's essentially why Twitter took off. From a customer's point of view, Pounce, I think, was just too hard to sign up for. It's hard to get your friends to sign up, and it was hard to access on mobile and other channels, especially SMS. They did not have all the deep pockets of Twitter because they were self-funded. So they cannot send the message out over SMS, which is too expensive. They cannot, they cannot afford all the servers to power an API. So they just couldn't spread as a microblogging tool as fast as Twitter. So in general, some of the lessons they learned are that social networks are successful when they have network value. In this competitive environment, it's really a race to establish critical mass. 
Another thing that we can take away from this is that Twitter was kind of crappy back in the day. You know, it was ugly, it didn't have any features, the servers crashed a lot. But that critical mass of being able to post your status from any device and knowing there were a lot of people who could potentially read it was valuable. That was the gem of value in the middle of Twitter and people liked that enough to tolerate everything else. That's not always true in every market, but in this case it was true. Something else that we can say uh, was a lesson is that positioning is in the eye of the beholder. And by that I mean, when Pounce was planning their service, they found all these ways to differentiate themselves from Twitter. But once they launched, everyone thought of them as another microblogging tool. In other words, they thought of them as being positioned very close to Twitter and compared the two of them. And when comparing the two of them, they chose Twitter because Twitter is more popular. Pounce internally, the people founding the company, kept reiterating that they were different and wanted everyone to believe they were different, but that just wasn't happening. And after a while, it just becomes a state of denial. We really have to look to our customers to understand our positioning once we've launched. In sum, if you need to get big fast, you'll probably need big funding to get there. When I've showed this case study to one of the founders of Pounce, he agreed that you know there are a lot of things that could have helped, maybe launching earlier or doing some things differently, but it really came down to the fact that they didn't have the funding to, say, send SMS messages or to put all the servers in place that they needed to power an API and to open up the service, or else they might have beat Twitter. And instead of tweeting, we might be pouncing today, but we're not. We're tweeting. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, too, to our sponsor, Rosenfeld Media, who publishes great, maybe the best user experience books in the world, including my book, Why We Fail, from which this case study was taken. They also provide training, and Rosenfeld runs some awesome events these days. You should check them out at rosenfeldmedia.com. Thanks.